Good morning. My name is David. I serve as one of the pastors here, and uh, we are in week three of our series called Starting Point, where we're looking at how we can have a, a fresh start in our faith, and really everything in life has a starting point, doesn't it? Relationships, organizations, uh, people even have a starting point, and faith has a starting point too. And for some of us, we grew up in a home or in an environment uh, where there was some kind of uh, intentional faith influence that was telling us uh, that we should believe certain things and that certain things are true. Maybe it was our parents, maybe it was people at church, and maybe some of those things stuck with us, and maybe some of them haven't stuck with us that much. For others of us, maybe we didn't grow up with that intentional or that organized uh, influence in our life, but really as, as human beings, we are hardwired to believe in something, uh, and so we all have some sort of faith lens through which we look at our lives and through which we look at what happens to us in life. And so we've been asking this question, what would it look like to start over? What if we could just have an adult starting point for our faith? What would it look like if we just could wipe the slate clean and start all over in our faith. And that's the question that we've been wrestling with in this series. Each week we've been looking at some foundational truths that we need to understand if we are going to start over again and do so well. And so that's why we've been saying that uh, you, you really want to be here every week because these build on each other and are so important. And um, you can get caught up on our podcast if you are have missed any of those weeks. And, and last week we talked about our biggest problem, and that is sin. That we're not just mistakers, we are in fact sinners. And that leaves us in a bad spot because our sin, it makes a mess of us, it makes a mess of our relationships, it makes a mess of the world around us. And so what we want to wrestle with today is the question, how does God respond to us in our mess? How does God respond to us in our sin? And really, how does God respond to me in my sin? But before we get there, I want to deal with our common perception of how God responds to us in our mess. Because you see, when it comes to the mess of our sin, I think we tend to think that God expects us to clean up what we mess up. Like, I don't know about you, but I typically think that I need to clean up the messes that I make, right? Like, I kind of hope that you think that, that that's kind of a part of being a contributing member of society is that we clean up what we mess up. We don't just leave it for somebody else to clean up. I can remember one time when I was a kid where I made a really really big mess. See, when I was a kid, um, I was pretty short. Clearly, a lot has changed since then. Um, <laughs> as you can tell, I know. Um, and I was pretty short. And when you grow up short, you get used to climbing things to get to the top shelf, right? Like, you get an expert at how to climb up the counter so that you can get to that thing you need in the top drawer. You get pretty good at that. And so, uh, when I was growing up, we had this dresser uh, that was the bottom. It had two parts. The bottom half was your normal dresser with like three drawers and you, know, you could put stuff in it. And then the top half was, you know, detached, but you could put it on top, you know, so you could move it easier. Um, and it was kind of like a wardrobe meets a bookshelf. Like it had some drawers, it had some cubbies, it had some uh, shelves in it. Um, and one day I'm climbing up this thing because I want something that's on the top shelf. Uh, I don't remember what it is, but I wanted it. And so I'm climbing up this thing like I often did um, when all the weight, because I'm such a big person, um, all the weight that I have uh, causes it to fall over on top of me. Um, and thankfully, there was a bunk bed behind me that caught it, and so I wasn't seriously injured. If this thing had fallen on me, I probably would have been very, very seriously injured. Uh, but thankfully, the, the, the dresser catches kind of like this at an angle uh, on the bookshelf or on the uh, bunk bed on the, behind me, and all this stuff just falls out everywhere. 
I mean, everything you think that might be in a little boy's uh, dresser was probably there, toys, books, clothes. Uh, knowing me, there was probably a handful of Legos on the shelves, and those probably got smashed, and that probably made me very sad. Um, but it, it, so there's just this, just this big mess, and I'm sitting there in the middle of it. I'm crying, scared to death. I thought this thing was going to fall on me and, like, kill me or something. Um, and so here's me in the middle of my room, in the middle of this giant disaster that I have caused. It's all my fault. My mom hears this commotion, and she walks in. She points her finger at me. Again, I'm sitting there. I'm crying. I'm scared. I'm in a mess. She points her finger at me. She says, how dare you? How could you be so stupid? Look at this mess that you caused. How could you be so stupid? You better clean this up right now. Now, none of you know my mother, but you don't need to know her. And the reason that it's so awkward in here in this moment to know that, of course, she didn't respond that way. Of course, my mom didn't see me sitting there, hurt, crying, in pain, and, say, and respond that way. You, you know that that's not how a mom would respond in that moment. Moms and dads, when their kids are in trouble, what do they do? They help them, right? But here's why I set it up that way. Many of us think that that's how God responds to us in our mess, isn't it? That God sees us in the mess that is our sin, and he says, you better clean this up. What is wrong with you? you got to clean up what you mess up. Get your act together. That's the common perception that we have of God so often in our lives. And even when we know better, when our theology is better than that, that's still how we think about God. And we think that God is going to respond to us in our mess. And so here's what that means. That means that you think that my mom has more compassion than God does which means that you think that my mom is more godlike than God is. And while I can assure you that my mom is a very godly woman, she is not godlier than God himself. And so maybe, just maybe, there's something about our perception of God that is a little bit off. And we need a fresh starting point in our faith because when we look at the Bible, we don't see a God who points his finger and says, you better clean this up. We see a God who actually wades into our mess to help us, to rescue us, to help us clean up the mess that we have made. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story in the Old Testament that I think illustrates that for us really, really well. It's the story of a man named Abram, or Abraham, as we often call him. His name is actually changed in the middle of this story by God. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. That's the first book of your Bible. And God's first interaction with Abraham is really recorded here for us. At this point in the story in Genesis, God had created the world and all of mankind, and man had rebelled against him and said, we're going to go do our own thing. And they made a huge mess of the world, probably a bigger mess than we often think of in our modern thinking. Like this was a world where if you wanted something, you took it. Size, strength, numbers, that's what ruled the day. You wanted your neighbor's wife, you killed him and you took her. Like that's the kind of world that they are living in. There was no police, there was no like people who said, no, you can't do that. If you were bigger, you were stronger, then you won the day. That's the kind of world that we're talking about here. It was a big mess. It's a kind of mess that I think most of us, if we had the opportunity, would just walk away from. But that's not what we see God do. We see God look down on this mess and decide that he's actually going to wade into it by choosing this one man, Abraham, and blessing the world through him. So our first big truth that we need to understand this morning is this. Instead of walking away, God 
waded into our mess. Instead of leaving us to clean it up on our own as we deserve to, he waded into our mess to save us, to rescue us, and to help us. I want to look at Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1 together. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So in the middle of the mess that mankind had made of the world, God chooses this man and makes some promises to him. And these promises weren't really just about him, because God is going to really bless the whole world through this man named Abram. And so instead of saying all the way back in Genesis, well, you know what, these humans that I've created, they've made a mess. Let's hope they clean it up. I'm going to be over here if you guys need me. God decides to wade into our mess to help us, to rescue us. Just like my mom waded into my mess, made sure I was okay, held me as I cried because I was half scared to death. That's the same thing that God does with us in our mess. God's promises to Abram become the foundation for this special relationship that he creates with the people of Israel. And it's the people of Israel that ultimately uh, Jesus comes through and uh, makes a way for us to have a restored relationship with God. And so all the way back in Genesis... God is making a way for us to have a right relationship with him. He's wading into our mess, trying to help us, trying to rescue us. And God makes these three specific promises to Abraham, and it's through these promises that he's going to begin to deal with the issues in our lives, the issue of our sin. And so God's solution really started with these three promises to Abraham. And that first promise that he makes to Abraham in verse 2 is to make him into a great nation. At the time... Abraham, or Abram, had no children. He had absolutely no children. He is quite old, past childbearing years, and so that's, that's quite a promise to make, right? That you're going to make a nation out of this guy who doesn't have any kids, and yet that's the promise that God gives. But what's even crazier is that nobody disputes that that promise actually came true. Like, you don't even have to believe in the Bible to know that there's a man named Abraham, and from him there is a great nation that comes, the nation of Israel. That promise came true. The second promise is that he would bless him and he would make him famous. That's also found in verse 2. And again, this comes true as well. Like I bet even if you've never read this story before, you've probably heard of a man named Abraham. Like even if you're not that familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard that name before. 4,000 years later, on the other side of the world, I bet everybody in this room knows the name Abraham. By contrast, does anybody know who uh, King Ison is? Has anybody ever heard that name? King Ison? I'm guessing not. He was the king of Babylon at the time of Abraham. He was one of the most powerful rulers in the world at that time. And yet, I don't think a single person in this room has any idea who he is. People in Abraham's day would have thought that it's King Ison that would be remembered, right? But it's Abraham that all of us know here this morning. God certainly made his name great. And then that third promise is that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. All people on the earth are going to be blessed because of this man, Abraham. And today, all the Jewish people would say that they have been blessed and are now a blessing to the nations. 
People of the Muslim faith would say, no, that actually, that promise is fulfilled through us. And people of the Christian faith would say, no, we're the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. But no matter what way you slice it, there's certainly been a great blessing to the world through this one man, one man Abraham, and his descendants. And these promises to Abraham are really the context in which we begin to see God's starting point for a relationship with him. And next is really where the story is going to get a little bit more personal, both for Abraham and for us, because this is where we're going to see the starting point for our faith too, because Abraham received these promises and then nothing happens. 25 years goes by. Imagine that, waiting 25 years for God to do what he said he would do, and he still has no children. And he's still wondering, God, what, what are you doing? Are you going to come through on your promise? And that's where we find him in chapter 15. If you will turn with me a few pages over to Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abraham, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. He's doubting what God said, as many of us would in that same place. Verse 4, then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. So Abraham is, is questioning this whole thing. He's looking at his circumstances and what God has said, and he's saying, God, this isn't lining up. He's doing exactly what you and I do, right? When God has said something and there's a seeming contrast in our lives, it's, God, what, what is going on here? God says to him, no, 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 your servant is not going to be your heir. You will have a son. And so he promises to a man who's probably in his 70s or 80s that he is going to have a son and that he's going to have as many descendants as the stars, so numerous. That's a really striking promise. That's going to be a hard thing to believe. I think any of us being given that promise would say, I don't know, God, that's, that's, a, that's a little far-fetched. And yet, look at how he responds in verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. In the middle of that crazy promise, Abram believed God, and God said he was, in fact, righteous because of his faith. If you're anything like me, you're saying, wait a minute, that's all it takes? That's all it is? Like, what about all the stuff he'd done wrong? What about all the mess that he makes? Like, if you read the rest of the story, this is a guy who's um, okay with having a child through his wife's servant. This is a guy who's okay with lying about his wife, saying, she's, yeah, she's my sister, so he doesn't get killed because she was pretty and he was worried that people would uh, kill him and take his wife. That's the individual we're talking about here. This is a flawed individual, and yet God says he believed what God said, and he is righteous. See, in this we find the starting point for our restored relationship with God. Just like with Abram, all that it takes is trust. All that it takes is that we would believe in what God said. So here's the next big truth that we need to grasp this morning. And if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. 
Trusting God resulted in a right relationship with God. It was because of Abraham's trust in what God said that he was counted righteous. It doesn't say that Abraham worked really hard to clean up his act. It doesn't say that he made up for what he did wrong. It doesn't say that he cleaned up his mess and then God counted him as righteous. What does it say? He believed in God. And God made him righteous. You see, every religion in the world is really trying to answer the question of how do I get in good with God? Or how do I get in good with the gods? And there's three uh, common things that we've come up with. That it's about birth, it's about behavior, or it's about belief. Or sometimes it's a combination of those three. And so the Jews would say it's about birth. That you have to be born into the Jewish nation or to be grafted in. We are the children of Abraham. We are God's special nation. That's how we're in good with God. It's about birth. People of the Muslim faith and many other faiths would say it's really about behavior. You've got to believe this certain things, but really it's about behavior. You have to do all these things. You have to follow these rules, and that's how you get in good with God. And yet we have the Bible that tells us that it's as simple as belief. Abraham believed God, and he was counted as righteous. Thousands of years later, there's a guy named Paul who, wrote, who writes a letter to a group in Rome. It's the what we call Romans, chapter 4, and he talks about Abraham, and he says, uh, he really talks about how Abraham was made right with God, and he says this in Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation, but what did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds, his behavior, had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about, but that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. It wasn't his good deeds. It wasn't did his good deeds outweigh his bad deeds. It was his faith. And the question might be, well, that's great for Abraham. What about me? Like that was thousands of years ago. Does this even apply to me today? Well, the good news is that the same way that Abraham was counted as righteous is the same way that we can be counted as righteous. It's through faith and trust in what God has said. Keep, look, keep reading in verse 4. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, not because of their behavior, but because of their faith or their trust in God who forgives sinners. Church, that's where our hope is, is that there is a God who forgives sinners, quite apart from any work that we have done, quite apart from any cleaning up our mess or getting our act together. There's a God who forgives sinners, not just mistakers, but people who have sinned. And we find that forgiveness through faith or belief. It isn't behavior, it isn't birth, our faith in what Jesus has done for us. And so our question as we close is this. What if the starting point for a relationship with God is trust? What if each one of us in here had the opportunity to start all over again in our relationship with God? And despite where we've come from, despite what we've done, despite what our family might look like, despite what judgmental things people might have said about us, despite what judgmental things we might think about ourselves, despite how far we've gone, despite any of that, that we could have a fresh starting point in our faith, and all that it takes is trust. Not getting our act together, not cleaning up our mess first, 
but simply believing in what God has said and what God has done. Not church attendance, not giving, not cleaning up our act, but just trusting in God. God has provided a way for us to have a right relationship with Him. He sent Jesus to take our place, to bear the penalty that we deserve to pay on the cross in our place for our sins. He's already provided a way, and now we just need to trust in what he has already completed for us. We don't need to add to it. It's already done. We put our faith in that, and that's how we have a good relationship with God. That's how we have a restored relationship with God. And if you're here today and you've never made that decision, you've never made Jesus your forgiver and your leader, I want to again invite you to have a conversation with someone before you leave today. Myself, maybe somebody that invited you, someone wearing a blue name tag. We'd love to talk with you about how you can start all over again and all that it takes is trust. If you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus and you've been here for a while and you understand this, my my question would be, are you still trusting in what God has done for you or are you beginning to add a little bit of your effort and your energy and your good deeds on top of that and thinking that somehow gets you in good with God or a little extra good with God? My challenge would be to come back to the simple truth of the gospel. All it takes is trust. That's how we're made right with God. Father, we thank you that you are God who looked on us in our sin, in our mess that we had made. We knew full well, and we chose it anyway. And we made a big mess of our lives, and you looked on us in our sin. And instead of walking away, you decided to wade into our mess. You decided to lean in. You decided to pursue and restore and rescue us when we were far from you. Father, thank you that you are that kind of God. Thank you for how you rescued me from my mess. And thank you for how you've rescued so many in here from the mess that they've made. And God, I pray for anyone in here who has not yet made you their forgiver and their leader. I pray that today would be the day that they turn to you and say, Father, I've sinned. I I knew better, and I chose it anyway. Thank you so much for sending Jesus in my place for my sins, that he was willing to pay the penalty that I deserved to pay, and I trust in what he has done for me. I put my faith, my belief in that. Father, would you forgive me for my sins? I pray that today would be the day that they begin that relationship with you. Father, thank you that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, no matter who we are, no matter where we came from, no matter what our past or our family or whatever it might look like, that we can find forgiveness and freedom because of what Jesus has done for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.